Hello and welcome to another episode of the UK Airshow Review Podcast, the podcast we started when we had no airshows to review. My name is Sam Wise, aka Wissam24, and with me today are... Ian Garfield, Ian G on the forum. Dan Ledward, Leadhead27 on the forum. And Dominic Vickery, Dom Vickery on the forum. And I'm Nigel Watson, I'm Rex and Mackham on the forum. Uh, sharp-eared listeners will have noticed that this week Tom isn't with us because he's had to spend time with his girlfriend. <laughs> so we've subbed him in for Nige, who has come very kindly agreed to join us this week. And because um, Nige is on us this week, we've, we've got a particular theme. Now, without wanting to age him too much, it's safe to say that Nige has been going to shows longer than any of the rest of us. So we thought it would be interesting to talk about how we got into air shows what our first memories of air shows are and, and and aviation to some degree as well um have you know get nice to chat about what air shows of of the past were like um since he started going to them and maybe actually have a crack at the question of whether air shows really were better in the old days than they are now so nige when did you start going to shows 1976 um, so That's before Star Wars came. I'm out. not that old, listeners. Really, I'm not that old. <laughs> but I was very young. Um, so um, I think you alluded in the in the last podcast to the fact that we're quite an air-minded nation, and I think I think back then, I mean, air shows were on the BBC. Um, you uh, talk to your family about going to an air show; they knew exactly what that meant. There was a lot more air shows than there are now. I do feel it's a little bit more niche and specialized now uh really than, than it generally was then yeah um so um the red arrows of course were massive superstars they still are um so my first actual memory is seeing the red arrows in the nats seeing the synchro pair down to the ground um uh, it was really quite a spectacle um and where was that teesside uh, i grew up in county durham uh, in the northeast um I think that had I grown up, been lucky enough to go grow up in somewhere like Cambridgeshire, East Anglia, or somewhere that had lots of bases, I would have seen a lot more, a lot younger than I did. Um, we just had little provision, provincial shows up by us then. Um, but loved planes, as many small boys do. Uh, so did my dad. He'd done his national service in the fleet air arm. Um, and I had a little mate, my best friend, who also loved planes, and his dad knew far more about air shows. Um, so if you fast forward to 1982, um, I was a young teenager. I went with my mate and his family there to Mildenhall. Um, mm -hmm. So the air fate in 1982 was my first proper one. Um, screaming over from crowd rear, four Canadian starfighters, um, I... I didn't know I was in it, whether I was in heaven or hell. Um, it was awesome, and of course, you still, you know, things like F-15s were still around that could that could remain within the airfield boundary and just rip the sky up. Um, and I couldn't believe that you could see all these things in this country. Uh, that's how naive I guess I was. Um, from that point on, I bought things like Aircraft Illustrated, you know. And actually, all that information was there. You realise all those shows are there, and they're not that far away. Uh, so from that point on, uh, up until now, um, it, it's one of those habits that I've picked up that I've never dropped, and I still enjoy it as much as I used to. I have to be honest. I still love that feeling of sitting on the crowd line, 
you know, the crackle of the tannoy, the, the smell of the freshly clipped grass and the, uh, the rumbling of the engines, the smell of the aviation fuel in the morning. You can't beat it. You're making me even more <laughs> sad now that there's nothing going on. I miss air shows. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say um, that you, you, you thought you were naive for not thinking you could see all that stuff in the country. I, I yeah. think the U I mean, probably a lot of countries in Europe anyway, but the European aviation scene is obviously a very diverse air show scene but we're sort of Western Europe you, you go much further and you're not going to get that level of diversity at all now or then oh, until very recently I've, I've never be, I'd never been to a, a show overseas I think my first one first air show was Poznan Tiger Meat air show 20 yeah that's the first time I, be, I went over to I don't even been over to in fact no sorry scrap all of that European air show was Poznan. Well, what makes you say European air show, Don? Well, I alluded to it just before the podcast. I've been in, following the aviation in and out since the late 80s. My parents used to take me to air shows when we used to live down south. Uh, Manston air shows. Moved up to Birmingham in 93. Went to a couple of Cosford shows throughout my later teens, sort of didn't really have that much of an interest in it but then 2006 2007 I took a year out went backpacking and I was in Australia and I saw a flyer for an Australian air show and I saw why not so I went to this Australian air show and it was Aussie Aardvark doing a dump and burn that's what got me back into aviation come back to the UK did my first react 2007 and yeah ever since then that's where i sort of followed aviation so yeah over european air shows i've been to one two was that where you saw the caribou as well yeah Man. i've got a question for nigel um you you know you, you say you started um quite you know even before i was born um what do you think caused that um that really big change between it being so you sort of said that it Everyone knew what an air show was. Um, you said that the Red Arrows really were the superstars of the mm. sky. What do you think was the catalyst that made that change more into more of like a niche hobby, as it were? The biggest difference on the scene, and, and we'll we'll talk about various participants, you know, about about the analog versus the digital and all that sort of thing. But the biggest change is just the simply the number of events. Um, I had a quick look this afternoon at some old airshow annuals. Do you remember the key publishing airshow annuals? They used to do one every year. Oh, yeah. And and I, I thought, well, just out of interest, you know, when when did we suddenly have a contraction in the number of events that we've got? Um, and I had a look at 1990, which to me doesn't seem all that long ago. There was 167 events, but there were 27 at military wow. airfields in, in the UK. Good grief. Uh, now, now, bear in mind, the RAF didn't open every station every year, so, so somewhere like Valley or, or wherever, you'd get one maybe every other year there. Um, so I think that the thing that really makes you appreciate what an airshow is, is going to an airshow, isn't it? If you try and explain the whole concept of it, well, some airplanes take off and they fly around and they put on a show and it's really entertaining. You think, oh, well, yeah, okay, but I see planes fly all the time. But actually, when you go to the show and you get that, mm. oh, wow, you get the wow factor. 
So I think with so many more events, I think so many more local communities had them to go to without traveling very far. Uh, lots more people kind of got it. Um, I, to me, that is the biggest difference that could have affected that. Um, of course, I haven't got all the answers, but to me, that is the one. What do you think caused that? Why do you think it's dropped off so much? Well, you know, especially in the RAF. I mean, air shows kind of went out of fashion, didn't they? Um, you know, and and first in terms of hosting and them, and now in terms of taking part. I mean, really, um, I don't. I don't intend to be mean to the RAF, but for goodness sake, you know, the support that we get from them now, well, the lack of it is, is really noticeable compared to other air arms. Um, so, I mean, a huge number of the of, of the of the bases that are on that list were RAF ones. Of course, all the US air bases did them as well. Mm. Do we even have 27 active airfields with aircraft bases? Rather, you said 27 airfields had air shows. Yeah, and, and looking looking down that list as well, Don. I mean, an awful lot of them are now closed or repurposed or doing something else. You know, you just just start at the top of that list, and and you know, Abingdon was the first one. Alconbury, there's another oh, one. Benson, A's. well, that's still there. Then we had Boscombe Down, Brodie, Chivener, Church Fenton, all gone, aren't they? Wow. All gone. Loads of them all the way down uh, that are gone. Leon Solent, Lynham, uh, Manston. Um, yeah, so there's just less, there's just there's less aircraft, uh, less military aircraft, and there's there's less bases. And there was all the civvy shows as well, of course, still going on at that time. You know, the North Wales, a big in uh, Coventry used to do a uh, used to have a show, didn't they? Um, Leicester did a fab little show. Woodford, oh, all the venues are gone, and I'm I'm sure that that is the the biggest change and effect on on what has made everything niche. So um, so I I've, I've been going to shows since 2011. And hearing a list like that is is incomprehensible to me, genuinely. You know, I've I've and I've seen even in that nine years, obviously, has seen the air show industry, the air show scene diminish to some extent considerably. But just that list of names, that list of bases that I've heard about, and they're just to me, they're in the past. Mm. Well, again, I I thought, well, I'll fast forward ten years, uh, and I. And and because I was trying to work out when that change happened, um, so I picked up the equivalent list for 2000, turn of the millennium. And uh, do you want to have a guess as to how many active military bases had a show in the year 2000? Now it's still 20 years ago. I would say five. Bear in mind <laughs> we had 27 in 90. Uh, Nine. Ten. I'm going to say. It was eight. Jeez. The, the two events that I could think would have significant impact on the air show in, in the air show scene would have been one the fall of the Cold War or also the end of the Cold War because you've then got so not for a few years because the 90s were obviously a bit of a heyday for air shows but you have a, a massive re- start beginning of reduction of budgets because there's no need to have massive air fleets anymore because there's suddenly you know, no enemy to be defending against, supposedly. And then, obviously, eleven years or ten years later, the two um, nine eleven, when security massively mm. ramps up and tightens, mm-hmm. and there's a lot less willingness to open up like there would have been before. Um, and I can only—I I mean, that that to me is 
I would have thought that the two major milestones in why you would see a reduction. Yeah, agreed. And I'm sure things like insurance must have an effect. This is there's multiple things, isn't there? But you know, end of the Cold War. At first, there was a massive, um, a massive boost. I mean, my my happiest days uh, were the early '90s when we started to get the Eastern Bloc stuff coming. Um, it, it was incredible. But then that was it was very short lived, you know, uh, and that reduction happened afterwards, as you say. Well, I imagine it was it was very short lived because suddenly those countries found themselves with no money and couldn't afford to they couldn't afford air forces yeah. in any numbers anymore, let alone send them abroad. I mean, I I it, going back slightly, or oh, actually, well, I'll tell you what, right now on that topic, seeing uh, you know Ian and Dan and I are in a Facebook group called the Four Aviation Flight Line, and there's a lot of photos in there of both those early '90s mm. shows and people's trips to. East Germany and Eastern Europe in those early days when suddenly you could go and go up to a guard on the base and say can I come in and have a look and they'd say yes um, and oh, give me a time machine honestly just the, the floggers and all of that sort of stuff but going back to what you said about uh, that wow in, in, inexplicable wow factor of going to a show and that was what happened to me in 2011. So I've always been interested in aviation. Uh, I have generally attributed to that that to the fact that I grew up basically five minutes away from RAF Hendon Museum. Um, like there, you know, probably every other weekend sometimes, being that surrounded by planes all the time and having them that close to me, that frequently obviously engendered an interest. And then there's the general sort of, as you say, every little boy's into planes to some degree. And went to a few air shows when I was young. My, my literal first air show memory is a very rainy, I specifically remember it hammering down and have later found out from my parents that it would have been at RAF Valley, the Harrier display, in the pouring rain. And I just have this memory of seeing it doing its bow. And that has stuck with me forever. And that probably is a very good indication of, of how iconic a Harrier is because you know how, how a plane bowing sticks with you. And I went to a couple of Farnboroughs with my parents when I was young. But what got me really into aviation as a hobby, as it is now, was in 2011. So this would have been my end of my second year of uni. Not to make you feel old. Um, I got a job, a, like a, a week's job, summer job, working at the Paris Air Show for a catering company. It's a British British catering company, and we. Uh, I ended up working in the Lockheed Martin Media Chalet, which, as it turned, I was the only one there, because for some reason apparently no media went to the Paris Air Show in 2011, so I was un. It was I was pretty bored the entire week. What happened was I essentially spent the week stood outside the chalet watching the air show, the flying display, and. That, you know, seeing the fighter jet, seeing the Typhoon, the Rafale, uh, F-16s, A380s, oh, where else would have been flying that year, I don't know. I didn't really see much of the static, but really just seeing the flying display, just suddenly realised, planes are cool, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love this, this is awesome. <laughs> so I went back and started just looking at planes more as, as I was doing it, and 
found out that the Vulcan was flying. And that got me excited because I thought, wow, Vulcan, beautiful aircraft, iconic aircraft, da, 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 and it's flying at air shows. Probably put something in like air shows into Google or air show tickets. First result would have been Riyadh. So, and I saw the Vulcan was flying there. So, booked a ticket to Riyadh on the Saturday, 2011. The morning was a literal drenching of rain. Um, the whole first first half of the day was complete write off. I spent I think a couple of hours just sat in my car, and we all know how absolutely slated Riyadh 2011 was, with Burt Gate and everything else. I don't think I even saw half of the static, but being at Riyadh, seeing the displays there, the variety of stuff, seeing them uh, on you know landing on the runway being surrounded by the large the large aircraft in the static and and seeing the the Su-27 on static which was to, to me that was I couldn't believe it this was a flanker this is amazing and it was I was I was hooked instantly like never looked back and went to the next one and actually didn't go to a different air show until 2013 and then obviously it snowballed since then but it, it really is as you say until you're there you can't describe it you can't describe that sensory experience of an air show and i've taken friends to air shows as well you know brought friends with me non-aviation friends and they've loved it because because it's a it's a general entertainment you know it's not just for plain geeks like us it's for there's a reason why they're so well attended it's it's funny though because um you say uh you just said there that you know the actual feeling that you get from a show is what makes it and it's a very difficult thing to describe so my first air show memory was actually I, I was I was 10 years old so it was it was Wallington 2005 um, first air show I'd ever been to um, I was in a, a Morrison's with my my mum and my grandma and I saw a leaflet just on the just on the exit I picked it up and it was a picture of the Lancaster over Lincoln Cathedral and I'm saying to my mom, I really want to go to this because I've been interested in aviation since I was about five years old I'd got one of those we went on holiday to Rhodes as a family to Greece and in the airport I'd asked for one of those like rubber play mats and you got a little aeroplane and you got some airport vehicles and you could run the aeroplane along <laughs> on this rubber mat um, <laughs> that's, that, 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 that's what you trained on for Flyby wasn't it? <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it, was funny, it was exactly the same training um, in fact, I think it might have probably been a bit more advanced back in uh, 2000 or whatever it was. Um, but anyway, we went to Waddington. Um, beautiful day. Uh, we made the, the daft decision to uh, drive through uh, Lincoln Town Centre and approach Waddington that way. Yeah, not, not great at the best of times anyway. And I remember we were coming up the hill because it's quite a steep hill to get up to uh, Waddington. It was covered in trees and wrote, the traffic was going on forever and we'd got Wannington FM on and you know what, you get buzzed and you get really, you know, you want to be there and you could hear in the distance, I could hear in the distance the sound of jets and I remember we came out um, from behind a, a row of trees and the noise was deafening and all I could see were these four sea harriers um, in, the, in the twilight years of the sea harriers 
and just these massive black plumes of smoke and the noise was deafening and we weren't even on base we were on the approach road uh, to get onto base and the noise was incredible and I, I I mean I think they I think they actually ended up displaying possibly later on I, my memories are very hazy of it but uh, just I, I, again it, it like you said Sam it proves how much of a, a charismatic aircraft the, the Harrier or the Sea Harrier really was and from then on I, it took me a while to go to another air show I think React 2010 was the next time I saw, I know it was Warrington 2009 was the last time was the next time sorry that I went to an air show mm. and there, from there on in as they say the rest is history like I think you said it earlier Nigel um, the number of different aircraft you got um, at previous shows I mean 2005 was only 15 years ago at Waddington there was oh, there was all sorts there was obviously the station fly passed by uh, the Sentry and the Nimrod uh, there was the Typhoon, which was brand new at the time. There was the Jaguar, the Tornado F3, the Merlin, the Chinook. There was all sorts there. And nowadays, how many are there? Five? Mm. Five, six dedicated RAF displays? Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the, they're always, they're always had, uh, you know, the, the, the display teams, the, the acts that did a season. And, and you know, even, even as recently, I think because on the forum, we've got the On This Day thread running at the moment. And and that that has been really interesting to take part in because because you realise the milestones, don't you? And I think I was I was looking at we've we've just gone past Cosford season and I was looking at the last year where Cosford had the variety of RAF solos. So two tornadoes, uh, Harrier, Jaguar, Solo Hawk, Herc, Merlin, and probably loads more that I've forgotten. In the, in addition to the ones that we have now, and 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 when you went to an RAF show, well, yeah, you might you might not have got all of them, uh, because there was a lot of shows on the same weekend or whatever. But you got a good spread of those. But the home team always did something, and that was your incentive to to put the effort in to go to a Brody uh, or you know or a Benson or something like that. Or if you went to if you went to Upper Hayford or Lake and Heath, you'd see F-111s. You know, they'd do something with the F-111s. And, and that variety, I mean, it, it's inevitable. We can't turn the clock back, but that variety just reflected on your airshow season uh, back in those days. One, one thing yeah. I was going to ask, or, or maybe a couple of things, was one, certainly, I, I guess, once you were able to drive and, and, and were able to, to, to navigate yourself, how many shows would you be going to back in those days? Uh, well, um, probably. So, so they were the peak years. Uh, so, so, so me and my mate Fred, who, who uh, was the little lad whose mum and dad took me to Millenhall. Uh, you know, once once we got driving, we'd get away, put the tent in the back, and we'd go away on 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 trips and see quite a few shows in one stretch. Probably ten in a season, mm. uh, because it's a long way to anywhere from County Durham, Sam. Um, so uh, it had to be worth travelling for. <laughs> but yeah, probably. I mean, now if I look at my season now, I'm lucky. I think it's a good year if I've done five. Yeah. Back then, ten. Like me, motorsport as well. Like all sorts of things. But, but yeah. So. Uh, and ha- how were you finding out information about what shows were on and when? Um. So, so again, I'm sure that is massively betraying my age because, to me, you just Google it. Of course, everything is instant now. Um, That's had pluses and minuses. Um, Probably driven the quality up of of what we are presented with as an outdoor event, Um, because everybody can uh, 
produce their instant feedback to the organisers for everything, yeah. can't they? Uh, which inevitably, I think, sorts out traffic problems for the next year, drives the quality up. Uh, there were a number of means of finding out. I because, like I say, nowhere's close to County Durham. There were a number of <laughs> there were a number of ways of finding out what was going to be at the show. So, magazines, printed magazines, uh, Aircraft Illustrated was brilliant. You know, because they'd have a preview section every month, uh, and the organisers would 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 tell them what their highlights were. Um, there was. The organisers themselves used to take out adverts and say, "Come to my show, you're going to see this, 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 and this." Um, mm -hmm. Does anybody remember the information lines? Are you too young for those? Uh, there'd be there'd, there'd be a number printed on the advert or on the poster, and you'd, you'd ring That's, up, and there was a sounds like some sort of telephone thing. It was a, it was a you know a little you know <laughs> telephone thing, and um, but but basically it was an answer phone message. Um, or as you call it, voicemail. <laughs> but it was an answer phone message. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you, you would ring that up uh, quite surreptitiously because it was always quite expensive, but you ring it up from the house phone in the hall, uh, and that'd give you some idea of what was going to be on. Uh, and if all of that failed, I just used to ring the airshow office. And your listings in the magazine, it used to have a telephone number next to each event because, obviously, they strongly encourage people to check before you travel 200 miles that the event was still going ahead. Uh, and I often used to ring them up. With uh, with the air tattoo, if you were a, a friend of the air tattoo, Fiat as it, as it was called in those days, you got four newsletters per year, um, and the third newsletter went out in June, and that was a participation list. So when you got to okay. when you got to IAT or, or Riat as it became, I think everybody that was that was in the enthusiast community had a fairly good idea of what was going to be there. Uh, so, there was always so, things that were different or didn't turn up or whatever. So the idea that back in the day you'd get to a show and you didn't know what was going to be there is a bit of a myth. Was for me, yeah, yeah. And again, um, that is because I had all those means. If you didn't buy a magazine and it was your local show, uh, then then you could turn up and not know what was going to be. You could that could easily happen. Whereas now, I think you would. You would struggle to avoid if you if you tried to say right I'm going to go to to Riyadh and I don't want to know what's there before I get there I think you'd struggle to achieve that in this day and age, um, but if you weren't looking for the information then, and you didn't hear it on the, you know on the on the Jungle Telegraph from your mates who, <laughs> who'd heard it, from, then then you could quite easily not know. Yeah, I was I was going to say the the means were there. I can remember uh, some sheets that my dad had got from. Um, I think it must have been the Fairford shows in the 80s uh, and definitely some stuff in the early 90s some some sheets that he'd got that were just like typed and photocopied so it, it was there but That's I right, think yeah. Yeah. people wouldn't have gone to the effort to to, to find out what was there and you know, I'm not saying there was different uh, different stuff or unusual things all the time but you tended to have an idea of what was going to be there Um I think the retirement dates or out of service dates for a lot of aircraft seemed to be a long way off back in the 80s and 90s um, so you pretty much knew what was going to be there but always nice to see something different and something exciting on a thing. yeah yeah so uh, an interesting comparison to make then actually is that you would you would go to shows with an idea of what was going but presumably a lot of them you would be going regardless whereas now a lot of people will base their decision on whether to go to a show 
definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do you think if you had the opportunity to in this day and age, do you think you would go to a show, and if you had the choice to not know what was going, or you had a choice to know what was going, do you think you'd take the option to not know? Personally, the only show I would not want to know what was going is React because I would probably shouldn't let the marketing office know this but you know I'd I'd be guaranteed to go to Riyadh every year because it's always going to be a big show it's going to be good even a a bad Riyadh is still a good air show great Um, value for money aside as an air show it's good and I would quite like therefore knowing that I'm pretty much guaranteed to go not know what's going any other show even Yeovilton which I've gone to every year now since 2013 I, I would want to know because actually the last few years bear in mind I now live in London so it's a it's a lo- longer drive for me than it was when I was living in Exeter um, e- every year the reason I've gone to Yeovilton is because there's been things there that I want to see rather than necessarily just going for the show itself um, and then when it comes to smaller shows m- maybe a Shuttleworth I could turn up to not knowing what was going to be there but, even, but for the most part I would be going to see particular things as well as enjoy the show. I was going to say, I'd do a react. Like we've said previously, it isn't just the air show, it's everything else. It's the, the feeling that you get and it's that those few days. Um, I've been with my dad for the last few years, so we've gone and done uh, just the Saturday with him, although I've done the rest of the rest of the weekend. But it is that, that the whole feeling and it's that day out, the day out that I spend with my dad, so I would definitely do react. But other shows the past few years it has definitely been oh is this going is that going well I'm not going to bother going to that and I, I suppose the other one that I, I would do if the weather was good is a Shuttleworth evening show I've done one and the the golden hour the light was just sublime there and I'd love to do that again the good thing with the Shuttleworth shows is that you can buy tickets right up close to the actual date itself so if the weather's naff you can choose not to go yeah but it, it's yeah, it's a lot easier to pick and choose which ones you go to, regardless of, of what's there. In time time changes your view, doesn't it, of of what's yeah. run of the mill and normal. Uh, so that that sort of time machine that we all fantasise about to go back and see certain things. Well, you got to remember those certain things were absolutely normal mm. at that time. And I and I had a, I mean I've, I mean we've all had a couple of shows and put massive effort to get to and this is this is still going on and it might happen now and you go there and think oh well, I was, didn't really see anything I haven't seen before I think that's all I ask of any air show is just one thing that I haven't seen mm. before or one thing that's new but uh, I mean I can I can give you a couple of examples I give you one example there was a Lake and Heath show in I'm gonna stick my neck out and name the date 1988 um, and there was an advert in Air Forces Monthly bragging about what was going to be there one and, and what was flying and and one of the things was b1b and i don't think i don't think that b1 had been had been over in in service anyway b1a had been to farnborough i'm going to stick my neck out and say it was the air show debut of the b1b um so I'm sure we will get lots of people so, correcting you so, so yeah <laughs> well i'm happy to be corrected because i always like to know the facts and i so um so off we trundled down to Lake and Heath uh, and got there. All the things that they'd said were going to be flying were were static. Um, but there was some everything that you could think of in a late 80s show was flying. They had a had a 104 solo 
um, they had the set piece with the 111s, you know, with the different wing fold angles uh, with, with four aircraft and all that sort of thing. But they had the six foot chain link fence. That was the crowd line. So, so, so bear in mind, I'd gone all the way there. And what I really wanted to see fly was static. I was stuck behind this six foot fence. I think, uh, I think everybody was drifting away at about three o'clock in the afternoon. But if you were to see that lineup now, if somebody was to offer you that lineup tomorrow, you think, oh, this is the best thing I've ever seen. It's I'd brilliant. stand behind a twelve-foot chain. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that, that's that's how that's how you've got to be really careful with with rose-tinted spectacles. So. The way we might look at now a lineup of F-16s, and you know, some people love F-16s, some people don't, but obviously F-16s for a long time now have been the, uh, you know, the bog standard airshow participant. Mm. Yeah, bread and butter. And now we obviously will go nuts over a single Phantom appearing on static. Back in the day, would you have seen a lineup of Phantoms and not paid it as much attention? For example, as we might not do to an F-16 lineup. Mm, I don't think so. I think I've always, I've always appreciated. You know, I've always enjoyed what I've seen. Um, okay. Uh, the, there were bound to be there were bound to be times. There's bound to be examples there where I've been blase about stuff that yeah. na- now we would give our you know give our right arm to see. Saying um, not, not but, paying attention to is perhaps unfair then, but mm. obviously. It, 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 you, you won't go. Wow, phantoms! These are the charismatic, the plane kind of thing. When when they were common as Mark. I, I think I think we all like to see phantoms when phantoms <laughs> are common. <laughs> so so I think I think so. Phantoms buccaneers. I mean a lightning display. Um, yeah. So you know, last week on the pod you were talking about Bruntingthorpe and and the fast taxi runs. Um, brilliant that anybody can see a lightning operating with those afterburners one on top of another uh, it's the next best thing that we're flying but honestly a, a lightning flying display was just brutal um, if you can imagine a group B rally car skidding around the sky with its back end hanging out that's what <laughs> that's what that's what a lightning display was like and, and I could go and I could go to Binbrook and, 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 and stand on the fence and see them all day and that didn't mean I loved them any less so so yeah, so I think I think there was always that thing there of appreciating what we were seeing. Um, I, I'm I'm not sure that I could speak for everybody. That's just me. But I, I I've just got uh, I'll, I'll devour air shows and and always have done uh, and always have appreciated what I've seen. But um, I think that that analog versus digital thing. I mean, if if back in the days when I was watching a lightning, you would you would try and explain to me what an F22 display was like. You know, I'd have given my right arm to see that. And you know mm. we can get to see that now. We can get to see things that are that never leave the airfield boundary and, and rip the sky up. Um, whereas the the F one hundred four or the F four, you know, they took half the county to turn round. <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> never and nevertheless, they have that real charismatic, noisy entertainment factor about them. Um, and it hit me quite between the eyes uh, when I saw the Viggen again uh, last year. Um, you know, to have that back was the highlight of last year for me. Um, Where was that? It was at Southport. Um, yes, of course. And uh, um, together with the Tunnin, of course. But it, you know, it it, it didn't, it, you know, in, in terms of technical manoeuvres or anything like that, it didn't do anything like a, a typical, you know, full-on fast jet routine. But 
would be, but nevertheless, it was it was just fantastic to see, and it, and it takes you back to that to those days, um, and and you know to take the to take the motorsport analogy further, you know, I'm sure that modern Formula One cars are an awful lot faster than than classic Formula One cars. I'm sure if you're a rally driver, it's much better to be a rally driver now than in a Group B rally car because I'm sure they're much faster and and all that sort of thing. But in terms Safe of entertainment well. value, in terms of Character and entertainment value. Mm. There, there's no comparison. Yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm very much a shamelessly of the the old steam gauges and and whiny engines flavour. Mm. Right. Smoke. Mm. Smoke. Absolutely. See something like something just just something that was really work a day. Something like a KC135 before they were re-engined. I mean, it, it, the the black smoke would hang in the sky for ages. <laughs> I mean, it was just. You know, it was like it was burning coal. It was unbelievable. And that's just a KC135. You know, you could, you could stand at Mildenhall and watch them all day. Mm. Brilliant. I think there's certain... I mean, for me, I mean, I'm, I think I'm... Oh, I think I am actually the youngest here in this podcast. Um, sorry. Um, <laughs> but um, I miss... I'm moving away from fast jets for a moment. But there's particular displays that I can think of when I first started really getting into my air shows that I that I look back on nowadays and I think ah, do you know what they were really good and the one that sticks out with me and a lot of people are probably going to shoot me down in flames for this is um, the King Air display I used to love the King Air display I'm a, I'm, I'm a bit bizarre in the fact that I'll you know I'll go to a GA airfield I'll, I enjoy spam cans um, but I think I'm sure we'll all have a very similar memory was the King Air display at Riyadh when uh, I think it used to yeah, be Mr. Blue Sky over here with yeah. Mr. Blue Sky and the we- and the weather turned uh, the rain clouds moved away and the sun came out and it was just it was always a display that always gave me a bit of a smile because it, it always seemed like the underdog of let's put another motorsport analogy in it always felt like the Minardi of display teams <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's you know that that's an air an air show is about is about putting on a show. It's got to have and 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 I think the the best a lot of the best air show acts for me over the years have been the ones where, you know, it's not so much the aircraft itself, but what they do with it and and how they use that airplane to entertain you. And the, yeah. that King Air was just mm-hmm. a classic case of that. That's why I always used to love the Hercules displays when they used to do the short yeah. the short landing, they drop the ramp, a Land Rover would come out at the back. Hercules reverse down the airfield, take off again. Always remember that was probably one of my favourite displays. Hercules displays for some reason. It's just cool, very cool. Going off in a well, mention of Hercules is what reminded me. Was was there much uh, awareness, and I guess going to of shows abroad back in the old days before the internet? Uh, yes um, so um, there's always been uh, it, again <laughs> I go back an era be, or, or a generation before you but I, I don't go back to the generation of, of, of sort of mad things happening and, and stuff like that but during my time um, there was always the likes of Ian Allen Aviation Tours or was George yeah. Pick another one there, there's always been organised tours um, to Air shows abroad. What what has changed? Um, and now we have budget airlines, and now nobody needs to be on a tour for most things. You know, you just 
book yourself a flight and, and off you go and the world is much smaller in terms of people travelling um, but yeah air shows abroad I think there's something that is you know that that enthusiasts have done during my time in the hobby anyway mm. I think I think the the mention of the low cost carriers and cheap airline tickets is the big draw for me um, going back to shows that I, one show that I definitely would go back to and wouldn't you know potentially look at a participation list I've only done it once and I've mentioned it before on the podcast of how much I enjoyed it was La Ferte LA um, yeah. I would gladly get um, a really cheap plane ticket um, a relatively cheap place to stay and do that air show the whole weekend and, and not take a look at the participation list because I know about 90% it's going to be a fantastic display mm. um, the the fact that it's almost shrunk the world and made it so more accessible like you could do you could do shows probably I, I'm going to take a, a hit here and say throughout most of Europe at the same price you probably I don't know like a, an expensive weekend away in in the Cotswolds or something like that N not reality sure. but yeah yeah I'm sure that's true I'm sure that's true, I'm, I mean, sure that's true. I, I'm sure it's the case I mean for a lot of youngish people but you know foreign air shows has become a big part of the scene for me because it, it just the a increases the amount of military and large air shows you'll be able to go to in a year compared with just sticking with the uk and you do get you know different things looking at the, the two danish air shows i've gone to seen things there that i've never seen in at a uk show um everywhere's got its own flavor and its own uniqueness and and comparing um, air shows abroad, particularly in in, in in Europe, with how air shows over here seem to be now, where they are a lot more. Think, thinking about the direct comparison that I made in in the 2018 Danish show, obviously that's an open day. It's free to open, big numbers. You never feel like you're being you're out to be screwed over by the show as it were you know you think about how much shows here cost now um and the general sort of well everything here is for entertainment why wouldn't we make it accessible sort of thing uh i mean do you feel like sh that that's been a big culture shift in air shows here um because so many of our air shows are charity fundraisers um, I don't think in general it has been so so take take Riyadh for example you know if I go right back to my first one which was which was 1983 price for 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 price taking inflation into account I don't think it would have been any cheaper than now or much cheaper than now really yeah I was, in fact, when I was looking in those in those books a little bit earlier, the 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 leaflet for 1991 Fiat fell out of the, of the book, <laughs> uh, and it was 50 quid in 1991 to be a to be a Fiat member. So Fiat now is what 220 quid. So I think that's probably probably like for like or now it might even be a bit better value, possibly. I'm um, sure Mildenhall used to charge per car. Think. They did, and and yeah. that was brilliant if you could fill your car. If you went in on your <laughs> well... own, it was really. <laughs> but so so, and and I think you know the other part of that, you know, we have to pay for it. Well, 
the costs that go into organising these events now is phenomenal. And then you've got the supply and demand thing. It's going to sell out. It's advanced tickets. Um, and that's bound to reflect in how much in how much you pay, isn't it? It's bound to. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, it's it's interesting to compare that approach to the we'll show the taxpayers what they're paying for, we'll throw the doors open for free approach that you get the likes in. Uh, I mean, that's the standard way in the US. Um, well, if you want the best spec, you've got to pay the premium upgrade, I have to say. But um, it's just an interesting uh, contrast. I've never been to a show in Denmark, but I've, I've been to Denmark a few times and I can imagine I, they would do it really, really well because they do most things they do really well. I mean, go, go back <laughs> and read the, the last... So 2016 and 2018, Tom did the first one, I did 2018. Read those reviews. It's, it is it is everything you would ever want from an air show. You, the, the, the access you get to it, the, the welcome you feel, just every, the, the amount that's put on. I like... <laughs> I I was waxing lyrical about how perfect this air show was. It was amazing. Can highly recommend it. Should well, it's going well. What's going to be going on this? Like, last weekend. Last weekend. Wasn't yeah, it? we yeah. were meant to go. Um, well, and then I think it's. I actually think it's a. A year today, maybe. Maybe I got that wrong, but um, yeah, we'll be going on next year. So maybe we'll have a big UCAR road <laughs> trip or or something. Yeah, we should do. Yeah. <laughs> as it's father's day um i think i have to thank my dad for the influence i'll just get that segue in there before you know you get one in sam <laughs> that was a good one thank ben, you all right, all right. Sam it. um it, it was his influence on a number of things aviation and motorsport as well in the 70s and i know he used to go to greenham common uh in the 70s and used to drag my mum my sisters there and he, he got into Formula One as well then. Um, I was born in 81, so I was dragged along to Milden Hall and Fairford. And I can remember, I've said it in uh, the podcast or the discussion that we've done, I remember stood in uh, having my photo taken in a line of aircraft. You can just see tails of KC-135s and Hercules, Herculi, for miles and miles. And I, I know people go on about the the burgers and the, just the smell and everything at Milton Hall but it it was even as a five six seven year old I can still picture it now and aircraft like the SR 71 and the B1B they'll always hold a special place for me because that's what I remember I think perhaps the first thing I remember about an air show was being stuck in a queue getting out of St Morgan in the early 80s when it was absolutely chucking it down with rain so that's the first aviation sort of related thing I remember the a big issue that stands out to me was Fairford 1991 and it was just so hot and my whole family pretty much got sunburnt blisters everywhere it was just roasting hot but I remember actually taking in that air show and you'd got I remember there was Phantom there. I was asking my dad what the loudest aircraft was, and there was a, a must have been a French Navy Atlantic that was doing a display. I remember just being stood there in awe. And at that time, I'd, we'd moved house and I'd changed schools. And one of my friends, who is Peter three four five on the forum, Peter, we've been friends since then. Uh, he was one of the first people that I met when I changed schools. I remember showing in the IAT 91 programme, and we were going through looking at the aircraft, and I was thinking, yes, somebody else that likes planes, you know, not football or anything like that. And 
and I think it's through him as well that I've kept that love, that passion of aviation, because we've been to air shows uh, since they've camped at Fairford uh, several times. And I, I remember it must have been 93 or 94 at uh, Fairford, actually thinking, I, I don't know, something must have clicked in my mind, thinking actually taking what you're seeing, don't just think it's an air show, just take it in. And I really did, and I can just picture now a lot of the displays. I remember seeing, I think it was 94, when there was a downpour on the Saturday. It, uh, it absolutely chucked it down. Um, and there was a bloke, as soon as the downpour went, he was selling umbrellas, ten a penny, they all went. But there was a vegan that did a display, and the, the clouds that it was towing, it, it was just amazing. I just remember being in absolute awe of these things. And so for the 90s for me were the, the golden era, of air shows I was thinking uh, we, I knew we were going to discuss how things have changed and I was thinking perhaps when the change was and what caused it and I can remember obviously those times you were able to drive your car right up to pretty much the uh, the runway line or you know, pretty much near enough to it and one year my dad decided he was going to take two step ladders and a plank of wood so we could sit and have a better view higher up looking over uh, a better <laughs> view of the airfield obviously not right in front of everybody else but you weren't far from your car I actually I reminded of this earlier on who would put two step ladders and a plank of wood in the car <laughs> going to an air show um, but we had a, an amazing view and there was so much runway line that you could actually go and sit there weren't the chalets uh, that, that were there and thinking of shows have, shows have gone on it's the corporate side that has we've said it in reviews people have said it uh, in their you know, members have said it in their reviews the air shows the, the corporate side has slowly overshadowed what the actual air show is itself and it seems to be that it's not just people that love aviation and have put a show on for it it's gone well actually we need to entertain our clients they're going to show off and okay yeah it's good you can have RIA as a marketing tool you know there are other air shows like Farnborough for that so for me it's been a bit of a disappointment that the chalets, ch chalets have taken up huge swathes of, of the crowd line if I think about it is my memory 100% accurate there seems to be a lot more space for visitors I don't know, it might just be those, you know, the, the hazy memories, but it, it seems that when my dad and I go to a show now and we enter sort of, is it the, I think it's the blue zone at, at Fairford now, uh, and we, we go towards the eastern end of the airfield, you have to walk quite some distance and there's just a very short block where you yeah. can plonk yourself. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's one of those things, you, you go you go with the times, but... I think the experience that that we had in the 90s, I don't think you could beat that and don't think you could get that back nowadays. Um, it's, it is it is looking back at how things have changed. I've, I've been scanning some prints and some slides that do go back to about 96, 97, and just the different aircraft that have been there. A lot of stuff is what well, has gone but there is a lot of stuff that has been there that just doesn't come anymore for for whatever reason but i don't want to get into the 
the trap of going back with the rose tinted glasses and thinking oh god those were the days I wish this XYZ would come I'd rather stick with the viewpoint of well I remember that as I say I've got it in my memory that I should remember this I've got that there I remember this display it was absolutely awesome you know <laughs> I think it's better to have the happy memory that you've seen it and you know, not be like well why doesn't this come anymore yeah, and it's constantly changing, isn't it? So, so, so there's something to be there's something to be taken from every, you know, because even then, if if you look at the flying display of uh, the the flying display, maybe in '91, and then you'd go back again in '93 because it was every other year if at that particular show at, uh, at IAT at the time, there'd be an awful lot in common between the two in the flying display. You'd still have your big blocks that were the aerobatic mm. teams. You'd still have your you know things that were there more or less every year and there was a there's a sort of gradual evolution from that into what we get now which is still the flying display of the same length it's still the same aerobatic teams that come and then it's just certain things have evolved over the years and there's i think there's something to be taken from the era that we're in now if we look back at it in 10 or 20 years time we might rave about when we saw an f-22 or or whatever and one yeah. one thing that's worth saying that, that is so much better now than it ever was then is the historic scene which you know Warbirds. Um, uh, that that's all within my time of 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 airshow viewing. That the warbirds warbird scene has gone from a, a couple of collectors, you know, to being <laughs> the multi multi faceted thing that it is now. I mean, there's mm. there's absolutely no comparison in what's available in, in flying history. Um, historic aviation now is 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 unrecognisable from what it was then and that's all for for the best do you think in some part that's down to should we say the decline of the RAF not decline as such but certainly the numbers and the types of machinery that the RAF offers mm, possibly possibly I think um, uh, I think the the, incl- the engineering and the inclination to 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 get things flying again and the appetite to get things flying again um, became kind of infectious didn't it with the with the guys who were involved in it and they all spur each other on and I think that I think that has got a bit to do with it as well I was, um, I was going to say I wonder whether just technology has played a role as well yeah. with the ability for for, for CAD engineering yeah, parts the engineering side, yeah. that side of stuff has improved massively I think for me I never really gave Warbirds a, a second thought really which sounds really bad obviously we'd seen the BBMF uh, at air shows uh, uh, pretty much stalwarts at, at any show really across the UK the amount that they get through um, but I, I remember seeing P40s P51s etc but it wasn't until I went to a Shuttleworth show in 2014 the first one I was absolutely gobsmacked and taken aback at everything there and I've been to a show every year since at Shuttleworth always try and get it in because what they do it's you've got to applaud them so much for trying to push all this the the important history onto all of the the people that go there and it's not just the enthusiasts it's the families as well there's a a lot to be taken in there Shuttleworth is is has to be seen to be believed it is impossible Mm. to describe the what how special it is as a venue and and as what they do there like you you, and until you go to it you'll you will never understand what it is that's special what it is that brings people back again and again to see the same planes again and again Mm. there is it is unique 
that sort of possibly half answers my question that I'm going to ask now. But sort of back in the 90s and stuff like that, was there much in the way, maybe apart from Shuttleworth, was there much in the way of World War One and interwar aircraft? Or was it just something that just didn't particularly happen unless you went to Shuttleworth? You still got a, a fair amount of aircraft. Like I said, I remember seeing, well, you, you had the Mosquito. Uh, I mean, you're talking Second World War aircraft, Mosquito and yeah. uh, P-38, P-40. Uh, seeing Corsair as well. But I, I'm sure um, there was, I don't know whether it was the Great War team, but I definitely remember seeing First World War aircraft at Fairford in the 90s. Yeah, yeah I was always... Definitely. World War One replicas have always come and gone, I guess, uh, uh, during that time. But interwar stuff has always been underrepresented, um, relatively to both World War One mm. and World War Two. Does seem to be having coming into a bit a moment of its own now, though. I think. Well, like everything else historic, it's, it's better than it ever has been. You know, it really, really is. Apart from jets, yeah. classic jets, obviously. But uh, and even as someone who's only, who's been into the air show scene for less than a decade, it's so obvious how much of an explosion of historic aircraft flying there is which is wonderful to see mm. it really really is um we're coming up on an hour now i don't know if there's anything else that you had in mind that you wanted to to maybe mention i think we've we've perhaps answered our questions quite nicely that we posed at the beginning of the show I do need to mention what i alluded to earlier about milton hall yes <laughs> i think i know what you're going to say but go on I remember, uh, well, two occasions actually, um, with my dad driving. He had a Sierra estate at the time, and going to as so you going to Fairford, he mistook a policeman's direction and ran over a traffic cone. The policeman jumped out of the way. Um, <laughs> second one I was going to mention is going to Mildenhall. We usually took one of my sister's friends, uh, so we had the whole family of five of us. Uh, it was quite a tight squeeze, so I often ended up in the boot of the car. <laughs> And so when we got to the gate to pay the money, I was under a travel rug, so yeah, <laughs> those used to like get value for money. In those days, you used to see people going around in the backs of cars, in the boots, uh, no seat belts and stuff. It was the 80s, wasn't it? Really? The, the, the crowd at Mildenhall was immense. It was about 300,000 yeah. people over two days, wasn't it? I mean, it? It was crazy. It, it's, it was, it was at times pretty uncomfortable. Um, but when you talk about the corporate stuff, well, that that was it was never there really. So you had most of the airfield to try and soak that up. But but yeah, I'm sure that policy of of, of you know pay for a car, take as many in as you can. I'm, I'm sure that uh, that put a few thousand on the gate. <laughs> it, it, it was good. It was just all about the planes. It, you can harp on about it till the cows come home. But they'll even though it was I say so many years ago, they're just some of the happiest airship memories that I've got and the most vivid ones as well cool well I'll never forget those starfighters coming up from crowd rear it's uh, been with me all my life I, I I mean if we're talking about those sort of first memories that that being at Paris Airshow and I remember I was in one of the kitchens which was you couldn't see the runway but I just remember looking at the door and suddenly like a it was like a submarine surfing just the A380 just lifting off from behind some barriers just appearing out of nowhere and the size of it and it was just like instantly blown away and that that probably probably takes that that's probably what got me into it into air shows but yeah um i think for 
for me it's probably SR71 and the B1B doing fast passes setting the car alarms off <laughs> now there's, there's the SR71 and the F117 I think are the two two things that I probably regret not being able to see more than anything else then again F117 I mean who knows well exactly I don't know whether it's right to say privileged but you talk about old aircraft and things but an SR71 I think it, it it's still yeah. is yeah. my favourite aircraft it's just so unusual um, and the stories of the pilots that come with it but having seen it the, the sheer power and the photos that some people have put on Twitter and, and whatever recently it, it does take you back and the, you know a picture does paint a thousand words to see it it's good but to actually mm. have seen it just so lucky and it, and it was never I mean let's be honest it was never a common sight I mean we, we, we talk about the Blackbird being in flying displays as if it happened every year at every Mildenhall <laughs> it, it didn't really I think there was a spell of about four or five years um, and a handful of displays in other locations I saw it for the first time at Alconbury um, but the Blackbird just everything about it it's sat on the runway spewing fuel everywhere uh, with those, <laughs> those those tyres shimmering because they were, they were filled with gas weren't they rather than just air because of the altitude and it was it, it was just an assault on the senses uh, incredible thing um, and I think privilege is the right word to be honest Ian to, to have seen it really was mm. thanks dad <laughs> <laughs> oh. the big one that I miss if, if we're talking about regrets of aircraft that we wish we could have seen for me um, not just at air shows um, potentially in that similar vein as Concorde I from where I'm, I always lived in Sheffield I never got to see a Concorde fly um, the closest I ever got was watching the retirement of the Concords on uh, on BBC News in 2003 um, I came back home from school rushed straight to the TV didn't even sit on the sofa, I just plonked myself on the floor and I remember just seeing the three Concords all on final approach into Heathrow um, and it took me quite some years later to end up going to the one at Manchester uh, they just built the hangar for it, the dedicated hangar and we were really lucky because they were doing um, full aircraft tours and I got a we got a private tour with a, one of the ex-Concorde engineers and I said oh, you know I love aviation I think I was about 13 at the time I got a tour um, around the aircraft we sat in the cockpit I got to put on a captain's hat an XBA <laughs> Concorde captain's hat and I said to him like I'd love to do this and the, the uh, engineer turned around to me and went why don't you go for a trial flight one day? Go go up in a, a Cessna 150 and um, see if you like it. Get some money together. Um, ask your parents. Um, I did that and then now look where <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I, I've got a lot to thank that engineer for, to be honest. Um, oh, I've got a lot to thank Concorde for, at least, anyway. But yeah, to see that at an airshow would have been something else. Just to see a Concorde fly. Wouldn't it be something if that engineer is listening? I'd just say thanks a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those, you know, that's one of those things. I wish I had a time machine. You know, it used to. I don't know how you guys will know better than me. It used to go to Fairford all the time, didn't it? On the um, yeah, or relative yeah. recent frequently on the passenger yeah. flights. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty much a standard fixture uh, for a while. <laughs> and uh, I mean, lots of lots and lots of other shows as well. 
Um, I'm sure yeah. it was at, my dad said it was at Coventry one year. It did a, a pass yeah. at Coventry. Yeah. Um, Finningly, for a couple of years in the mid 80s, got an Air France one to do the, the fly in charter. I don't know how they managed to do that, but that was, uh, that was lovely to see as well. Something we didn't see very often. Yeah. But the the Concorde moment, I suppose, that I always think of is the is the Red Arrows and Concorde flypasts. Um, yeah. Yeah. Special airplane, iconic. I think you'll never forget if you do see a Concorde. You'll never forget it. Seeing a Concorde probably was one of my first, or one of the air show, or not even air show, just aviation moment that will stick with me for life. When I'd just moved up to Birmingham, I'd have been ten in nineteen ninety three. Um, where we live where my parents live is on the flight path to Birmingham Airport and in December there always used to be a Concorde coming in to do some Christmas charter flights I don't know what it was for but you know being a young kid into his planes and then you know these these snowy top roofs and then hearing this aircraft that sounded nothing like anything I've ever heard before ran to the front door stood on the front drive and just seeing Concorde in its landing configuration I'll never forget that moment. Never. I mean, one of, without that, one of my earliest aviation memories was my dad take. Coming if I've mentioned it on the podcast before, my dad taking me to the viewing platform at Heathrow. Is that the Queen's Building, something like that? Yeah. Um, I must have been seven, eight years old. I remember having a little pair of binoculars, and there was a little shop as well up on the on the viewing platform, and. We were watching the airliners taking off, and I don't know. And a 747 took off, and I thought that was loud. And then I just remember Concorde. Because you, you went up the stairs to the viewing platform, and there was a sheet with the daily Concorde movements on it. Because that was what everyone wanted to see more than anything else, obviously. And Concorde taxied out and took off, and obviously afterburners on. And I remember my dad leaning down shouting something into my ear and I couldn't hear him because all <laughs> that there was in the world at that point was Concorde taking off and that and I, I saw it in the air a couple of times as well but that's that is that's that's my Concorde memory which is when you're when you're seven years old is something else hmm. everybody loved it everybody and, and everybody it's one of those things and it yes it was noisy and, and all these things but whenever anybody you know whenever it flew over anywhere in any walk of life everybody Ooh. stopped looked up pointed yeah there's concord as if there was only ever one you know it was always in the singular wasn't it um and i can't think of any other aircraft that, that you know that's been that much of a hero in the eyes of the public 100 percent. My, my dad used to be a ref and he was refing a match once, and he said, "and I can't remember where it was." And Concorde flew over quite low, either taking off or on approach somewhere. And everyone, including the players, just stopped what they were doing and watched it. <laughs> Middle of the match. The score was thirty-six nil after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I remember that I was watching a cricket, a test match on TV, and that was paused to watch Concorde take off. Amazing. I do remember my dad taking me to Birmingham Airport, as you mentioned, but I remember it was, it must have been uh, December, we went one night, he'd got um, an airband radio that was like, uh, it, it was massive, it must have had like a, a boot full of batteries in your, in your car for it. <laughs> 
but it was quite a must have been about a foot long but it didn't have a digital dial it was an analog turn dial and i don't know how he must have precisely picked up these frequencies he took it to air shows and he used to pick up all sorts of stuff i know he used to listen to civil transmissions we used to pick up concord from the house where we lived in litchfield at the time but i, I do remember going to birmingham and parking at one of the car parks it used to be a bit of a swamp area behind the car park and seeing concord take off and you could just see the afterburners glowing when it went I'd forgotten about that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I think I'm going to go and cry after this episode. <laughs> Happy memories. Happy memories. So that's been quite a nice look back through the, the annals of air show history to, to some degree. I hope it hasn't caused too much nostalgic weeping among our, our older <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, I mean... What one thing that has been brilliant looking back at the old days is the golden oldies section on the forums so if you want to get that fix and let us know what you your airshow memories are then head to the forums at forums.airshows.co.uk uh, and otherwise we've got reviews going back to it's a good point what is it what does it go back to type this in very quickly Going back to 2005 on the the main website, airshows.co.uk. So head on over, let us know what you think. Here, social media. Um, before we go, Dan has got a message of thanks to uh, some people who have been plugging us and a short little message. Yeah, I just want to make a uh, couple of thanks to some of the guys that have shouted us out over the uh, past couple of weeks. First to Rich Cooper, uh, a lot of you will know him. He runs the Sensor of Aviation Photography, also known as Co-op. Great, great uh, setup. Does a number of events throughout the year, tours, uh, workshops, etc. Rich is also doing a weekly roundup of uh, all things aviation. If you head to YouTube, uh, you can either follow his channel, it's Co-op Online, and it's called the AvGeek Week. Also, big thanks to Darren at Aviation in Action. He started doing a live streaming on Facebook and YouTube. Really good to watch, particularly at the moment, whilst a lot of us unfortunately can't get out during lockdown. Uh, you'll find Darren will be live streaming. He's been live streaming at Heathrow, Lake and Heath, over the past couple of weeks. So definitely give that a watch if you're wanting something different to do. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to give us a follow on Spotify. You'll find us as the UK Show Review Podcast. Uh, we're also on SoundCloud and uh, Apple Music. And also don't forget to head to the link on our UK Air Show Review website. Cool. Um, and, and also thank you to everyone who has subscribed and has been listening and keeping our listener numbers nice and healthy. No and particularly if you've been telling friends, family... Uh, people on the street about the podcast uh, that's much appreciated please if you know someone who'd be interested in uh, horribly uninformed <laughs> aviation talk then <laughs> please please share the podcast so thank you very much uh, thank you very much for coming on Nigel yeah, it's been interesting it's been a pleasure to talk yeah thanks for having us I don't know if you want to plug your Twitter account and social media and, and all of that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, I'm full of all those things, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, he's not that old, honestly. He doesn't look that old. <laughs> 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 so, 
yeah thank you very much and see you for the next episode the listeners that is not not necessarily you Nigel <laughs> great thanks yeah we're, we're, yeah. Uh, thank you for coming on and never see you again don't let the door hit you on the way out no, ho- ho- hopefully get you on at some point that's been a good chat cool thank you for listening and hopefully you'll join us for another episode in the in the coming weeks cheers <laughs>